I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. And today we have an extra special guest. It's Judith. Judith Scott from all over the world. Oh. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. Hi, Judith. Thank you so much for coming on today to talk to us. This is actually something that you suggested for us, which is a great idea. We're super excited. Uh, But first, before we dive, do a deep dive into um, some special animals, tell us a little bit about yourself and your whale watching career, because you go just all over the place. Uh, Yeah. Hi. Thank thank you very much for having me when I suggested it. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. No, uh, Great. I, yeah, I wanted to talk about my part of the world and the orcas. But yes, I have I have to say I've been very lucky and worked in a lot of places. So uh, like so many people I hear talk about whales, I fell in love with them when I was a little kid. I saw a picture of an orca or, uh, on Blue Peter, a kid's TV program in the UK, when I was around six years old and I started drawing killer whales on everything I owned, including my fingernails, which used to take me hours and hours. And I was really bullied at school for being the whale freak. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it's really been a lifelong passion because now I'm kicking 50 and I still like them just as much. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't study science. I regretted it, but I was told by a careers advisor in the UK that I'd never get a job working with whales and dolphins. So this was 30 years ago when I was in school. And of course, there was hardly any whale watching in Europe, let alone that much research back then. But when after I'd graduated, I heard about an internship in Massachusetts. I went over there um, after pestering this poor lady called Cindy McGuinness for many months And finally, she gave in and said, "Okay, you can come. And uh, I was the first foreign intern she'd ever had. And I went over there and worked on the Whale Watch as a volunteer, teaching people about whales and um, taking some data and eventually becoming a naturalist. And uh, then I was lucky enough to meet Ocean Alliance and Roger Payne, who I don't know if many of you will know, but he's Mm. the man who co-discovered Humpback Song. And I got to volunteer on his boat, which was called Odyssey, which was sailing around the world studying sperm whales. So I spent two and a half years on board Odyssey. um, And we were taking biopsy samples from sperm whales. And really, once I had that on my CV and Roger's name, it opened doors and my degree didn't matter quite so much. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I, I was doing that for a long time. I worked in Australia studying blue whales for a few months and also did some killer whale stuff in Norway in 2004 in Tisfjord and then I gave up for a few years because I tried to get a working visa to work in the US and I was turned down and I went to work in an office for a few years but then I was lucky enough to go to Antarctica with Mark Carradine and there he persuaded me that I really should go back to my passion and uh, eight years ago, I got a job working in Iceland on a whale watch. That was my way back into the whale world. And since then, I've been working mostly in Iceland, uh, also two seasons in Norway with the killer whales and four seasons in Mexico with the grey whales, three seasons in South Africa with the southern right mm. whales. 
And most recently, I got a job in Antarctica last winter, and I'll be returning there in about a month. So, oh, oh my gosh, that's me. This is the kind of amazing dream career that um, I wish that I had as well. <laughs> but I'm yeah, lots of lots of people say that it's yeah. There, it's. Obviously, I mean, I wouldn't problems. I wouldn't change it for anything, but it's it's hard to make it into a career because it's all mm-hmm. seasonal. So I, you yeah. know, I have no family. I have rarely kept a boyfriend for very long. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of mm-hmm. follow Wales around instead. So it's an absolute dream, but there are obviously, yeah, you know, definitely. there are sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> ups and downs, ups and downs. Amazing. Um, yeah, so I think the main reason that we were so excited when you offered to come on the podcast was to learn more about Icelandic orcas. Um, so do you want to maybe start filling us in with that? And then I'm sure Lindsay and I will have questions as we go. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I know like nothing, like population, when they're there, how they're organized, what they eat. Like I got, I got no ideas. I just know that they exist. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Tell well, us everything. Oh, gosh. Okay. How long have you got? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, forever. actually, I don't think it's going to take that long because there's so much we don't know about them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think, well, I don't know. How, obviously, you've spoken to Christina before on the podcast, and it kind of links with the Norwegian killer whales. So when I first worked in Norway in 2004, that was the killer whales in Norway were in an area called Tisfjord. And then the migration of the herring affects where the killer whales go in winter. And in 2006, the Norwegian killer whales all went AWOL because the herring disappeared out of Tisfjord, which everybody knew that would happen eventually. And for a few years, the Norwegian killer whales were kind of out there and not really close to land and not many people knew what they were up to. And at that time, a few years later, all of a sudden, uh, we started, at least I think whale people, particularly in Europe, started hearing about these Icelandic killer whales. And many, many people were saying that they were probably the Norwegian killer whales that had now come into Iceland. Mm-hmm. But we know that that's absolutely not the case. It's a separate population, predominantly separate at least. And um, what happened was the Icelandic herring came into a small town called Grundefjordir, which is on the Snæfellsnes Peninsula in West Iceland, um, a few years ago. And like the Norwegian herring, the herring makes these big fundamental shifts in its wintering patterns where it goes inside fjords to overwinter and the killer whales basically follow because they are predominantly feeding on this herring. So, yeah, a small town called Grundefjordir in Iceland suddenly came on the map because they had sometimes 200 orcas within sight of the harbour, just very, very, very close to land. And a small company called Lauki Tours had a passenger boat there. And so they decided to start taking people out to watch the orcas. And uh, that's how kind of Iceland and Killerwell whale watching started in the wintertime um, about 12 years ago. So, yeah, so I'll, yeah, so that wasn't really much about the orcas. I am now lucky, (laughs) I'm now lucky enough to work for Lauki Tours. I've been working with them for eight years. 
and uh, we are the only whale watch in Iceland that sees orcas regularly and it really surprises me that they aren't better known and we aren't better known because it's I'm saying this right at the beginning but I I am so surprised that not more people come out to watch the orcas in Iceland the weather here is a bit difficult (laughs) but uh it's it's probably the only place in the world you can be the only boat with orcas on a regular basis we are the only boat out watching them and that is a massive privilege that you just don't get in Norway or I think in the Pacific Northwest and Mm, most other places where you see orcas being the only like I've when I've been on a research assistant being the only boat has been a thing but that's such a different experience and so hard to get and yeah you never would get it out here even with the bigs let alone the southern residents so oh yeah yeah but you know you're also you you can start well watching here you know a 20 minute drive from the international airport basically so it's true yeah um yeah yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. a difference. And I think yeah. that's also what's changed Norway very fundamentally is when mm-hmm. I first mm-hmm. went to Norway, uh, Tisfjord was the place, like I mentioned, which was kind of near the Lofoten Islands, but this tiny little town that was really quite hard to get to. And that's where the herring used to overwinter. And they had about a 12 or 15 years, I think, of really good killer watching. But you, it was really dedicated to, you had to be dedicated to go there. So there was one large boat, which was the boat I worked on, and then a couple of smaller ribs that were doing the swim with. Um, and then, of course, uh, the killer whales left because the herring left. The herring went to Tromsø, and Tromsø has a massive international airport. So when mm. the herring came into Tromsø and the killer whales obviously followed, the whale watching in Norway went nuts. And, yeah, you know, I you hear about days in Norway where they've had 40 boats watching one group of orcas and and I've been out on the water on days where you had ribs come and drive into the middle of a carousel feeding group of killer whales and drop people in the water on top of the herring on top of the herring insanely bad behavior and so although Norway is just beautiful stunning place the the regular there is no regulation it's just an absolute free-for-all mm. which is why i recommend if people want to see orcas in a little bit more of a natural environment then then iceland is a wonderful place mm. to come and see them yeah i remember here like 20 years ago before the regulations got uh, as intense as they are now there were definitely times where there were more boats than there were southern residents um, mm-hmm. which but we didn't have we've never had any swim with kind of thing and the guidelines have always existed so they were at least kind of a far away from the boats from the yeah. whales but it's still not great um but yeah that just sounds just like ruins everything for you too like i don't know in even in the situation where you're doing a swim with which is a whole other conversation but like i don't want to land on herrings that sounds uncomfortable and disorienting and just and then you're just there in the with feeding large feeding animals and you're like that's not a a fun time for me yeah yeah so stressful yeah it's a it's a real shame that it's not it hasn't been Mm -hmm. better managed there because uh yeah it when i went many 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 years ago there was just two boats and hundreds of killer whales in the area in teesfield and now it's very very different and 
I, I, I'm not a hundred percent against swim with, but it obviously has to be heavily controlled and there is no mm-hmm. control in Norway. Unfortunately, the killer whales are so nice and peaceful. They just swam <laughs> yeah. away. I mean, if only they, you know, gave somebody a quick nibble, then it would probably all change, but they don't. They just swim away. They're, they're too nice. But sorry, that was off topic. <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good okay. conversation to have. Uh, so let's go back to the orcas in Iceland. So they, you said before we recorded that they come in the spring. So, yeah, nowadays it, we started as a winter whale watch, uh, Lauki Tours, uh, because the killer whales came in in the winter, as I mentioned, when the herring came in. But the, the herring is such a complicated fish in the North Atlantic. I admire anyone who wants to study that fish. But they, a few years after the herring came in to Grundefjörde, it left and it stopped now coming inside the fjord in the winter. But we had started looking around at summer whale watching in the area and we found that the herring hangs around in the fjord quite a lot during spring and early summer. And the killer whales are obviously still there feeding on herring. And this seems to be more a historical event. So the herring comes deep inside a fjord called Breidefjordur in the spring and early summer. And so now, actually, the best time to see the killer whales in Iceland is generally between about March and early June. Uh, We had 100% sightings this last April. Uh, April and May are probably our peak time. There was one tour in April we didn't see them, but we saw them on the other tour that day. So we're sort of giving it 100%. We saw them 100% of days at least. But obviously, that's a really good statistic. Uh, there is a lot of weather here. But yeah, spring and early summer are now the season in Iceland. And we've had to actually give up winter whale watching f- because the, the killer whales are no longer here in winter. They're mostly now here in the spring. So you need to be a bit flexible with killer whales in the North Atlantic because they do tend to move around with this complicated herring. Like with the historical herring. So has there been people studying the orcas in this fjord or is it still kind of just learning as a whale watching company goes and learning from what you guys are seeing or how's that going uh a bit of both uh the the government started at least counting the orcas around Mm. iceland i've been told in the 1980s the government organization which i guess is kind of the equivalent of NOAA in the u.s is called havro here and they started at least looking at the orcas in the 1980s because, of course, back then, uh, after they stopped capturing the Pacific Northwest orcas for captivity, most of them were being captured here in Iceland. So Keiko and so many of those famous ones, of course, were Icelandic, weren't they? But, uh, yeah, um, there, there's a, a, a research project called the Icelandic Orca Project, and they're the main killer whale researchers, and they started... Uh, probably about 12 years ago, I think, studying the orcas here. But uh, yeah, like Christina and you guys discussed with the Norwegian orcas, it's a large population here. So we have got more than a thousand orcas in the catalogue that Orca Guardians, one of my colleagues on Laukitos, has put together. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, just cataloguing them is, a, is an enormous yeah, yeah. task in itself. Um, so killer whale research here is 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 been happening, but very much in its infancy compared to the Pacific Northwest. Like it's just so much harder because that's just like literally ten times more. 
than the whales that we have here. So is there any, like, if you're seeing them, like, when you saw them every day in April kind of thing, is there anything, is there anybody specific that you are starting to recognize? Like, do they, are they grouped in any ways that you know how? Like, it's hard if you don't have the full identifications yet to see if there's natural lines and clans and stuff. But do you see the same ones every day or a couple times a week? Anything like that? Yeah, so I think that is very similar to what they would also say again in Norway, is there are definitely groups that we see regularly. We seem to have different groups uh, that used to come through in the winter when we had the winter whale watching. Then we have uh, pods that we quite often see in spring. And then we have different pods that we quite often see in summer. And where are all those guys move? We don't know for sure. Um, But... Yes, I mean, there are definitely groups that we generally see annually. And then every year, my colleague Marie, who does the catalogue on board our boat in Laukitas, but also uh, the Icelandic orca project who study the orcas now in the south of Iceland, are adding new animals into the catalogues every year. It's, yeah, as we said, it's it's a large population here and we're still really trying to get a handle on how many it could be. But they are moving around a great deal. Again, I think possibly more than I know the southern residents are moving more now, aren't they, than they used to? Mm-hmm. But they used to, yeah. they're moving so much here; it's much harder to get a handle on exactly what they're doing and where they're going. Oh man, I'm so curious. I just want to put tags on all of them, <laughs> <laughs> but not, know. but not, yeah, not not vicious tags. I I have no, such no, no, a... no, no, no. <laughs> I have such a, I talk about tags a lot on the whale watching boat because people ask about them so much and we learn such amazing stuff from mm-hmm. them. But, but oh, there's a really part hard, of you. Yeah. yeah, I've, I worked on tagging blue whales many years ago and, and it's, yeah, it is invasive. So it's, it's a hard one. I find myself having very mixed feelings about tags. Yeah, it's so hard because my main experience with tags was with turtles. So it was much, a different a heat adhesive kind of situation and so therefore less sure. invasive like long-term invasive yeah yeah hello excuse s- me do you mind if i just yeah. pop this on you oh no yeah problem. exactly and <laughs> the blue whales weren't quite so, so inviting yeah definitely and you get so much data from them and it tells you so many things and i'm like i just want to from a need uh, from a curiosity standpoint i just want to tag everything that's in the ocean but of course yeah. that's not feasible and also definitely complicated with a all sorts of different reasons, but uh, yeah, a health and invasive kind of mindset for sure. So here are orcas, there's like the two groups that eat either salmon or marine mammals and your orcas, they're following the herring. Do they eat anything other than herring that you know about? Or are they really just herring specialists in the same way that ours are salmon specialists? So again, that's actually slightly similar to Norway in that uh, we appear to have a large percentage of the population that really seem to be herring specialists. So there is a Icelandic population of herring and a Norwegian population of herring. And as far as we know, many of the orcas just follow their particular herring stock. I hate using the word stock. I don't know why I said that because it's not a stock. It's not there for us, but their herring population as it moves around. So many of the orcas, as far as we know, are just following herring. But we do have some really interesting ones. I think 
at the moment, it's only about 20 to 30 individuals are thought to do this, or at least have been proved to move between Iceland and Scotland. And they are mm. actually orcas that we used to see here regularly in the winter, feeding on herring. And then in the spring and summer, they go and feed off northern Scotland, so mostly around the Shetland Islands. And there they are most definitely feeding on seals. So we know, wow. again, similar to, I think, what Christina was talking about with the Norwegian killer whales, we know some of them are feeding on both fish and mammals regularly. And one of the things I think that Philippa Samara is trying to understand doing isotope analysis, whether we're ever going to be able to answer this, I don't know. Uh, she's studying the orcas here, is to try and find out whether that's historical or whether the orcas were forced to change mm. their diet because the herring population in the North Atlantic was massively overfished in yeah. the 60s mm. and 70s and crashed. And then, of course, we've also hunted seals for a long time as well. And so whether this is a historical uh, feeding strategy or whether it's it's something fairly new, may, maybe we'll never know the answer to that. But that's lots of questions that we don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting no. question. Huh. Yeah, I think the more we learn about orcas that are not here, mm -hmm. um, all the other populations of the world and how they eat and like the variety of their diets, I think we're, the more we get down to is that ours are the weird ones. Like obviously yeah. Yeah. being just Chinook all the time is, is a specific strain of that. But even the bigs, they don't have a crossover. It's yeah. Just yeah, they don't eat fish constantly. at all. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I mean, I get asked that question so, so often on the whale watch. Are yours resident or transient or uh -huh, big? So yeah. then most people use the word transient. But yeah. uh, and, and you know, it, it really is such a, a public perception that mm -hmm. most orcas are like yours, where it's actually I, I do think the more we learn, it's yours are the around. weird ones. Sorry yeah. about that. No, <laughs> It's just that we know it. so much more about them. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that before we started recording, too, of just, like, trying to fit everything into the box of what we know about these ones and, like, other ones that we know so much about or at least have uh, firm categories for, like, the Antarctic ones and stuff. Just, they like, these ones are like this, so everything must be like this, which is not true for orcas or humans. But yeah, it's just hard because this is what we know and this is what the public knows, definitely. So... We just got to keep spreading the word. Yep, Orcas are different everywhere. There's so many different kinds. We know nothing about them. <laughs> I think that's that's one of the things I like to get across on on all my tours is is that I, not just with the orcas because I work a lot with humpbacks and other species too is there there is a lot we know we've learned a lot of amazing stuff especially in the last few decades since we've only been studying them alive for such a short time mm. but there is so much we don't know. Oh, I was just going to ask about hair, a little bit about herring. Um, so here we've had maybe over the last, what do you think, Lindsay, like 10 or 20 years? The herring population has really been coming back, especially like near the city. And so because the herring's coming back, we're having seals coming back. And they think that's why we're getting a lot more of the big orcas like coming so close to the city. Um, have you folks been finding that? in in Iceland as well that herring populations are sort of resurging or is it still um, a pretty uh, overfished population? 
Do you know? No, I, I mean, well, I, as far as I know, having spoken to my boss and fishermen around Iceland and also reading some of the literature, it's very, very much recovering. The, yeah, okay. And I, I believe that's, that's also true of the Norwegian herring population as well. Both Norway and Iceland massively overfished in the 60s and 70s. But now they estimate that the population here is is rebounding and is is really healthy. And I think like many countries, of course, they learn from their mistakes and the, the fishing yeah. is much, much more controlled now. So there was a concern a few years ago that the herring had a disease in Iceland. But I've, I've heard recently uh, talking to Philippa and others that that's supposed to have rectified itself and it's but uh, yeah as far as I know it's now a, a healthy population awesome okay well that's a Great. good sign yeah. so um, I want to ask you about so many other things but let's talk about what else you see in Iceland because I know you guys have white beaked dolphins which to me is just like so amazing because we don't have anything like them here so what else you got humpbacks and sperm is that another a story from you from another part of the world? No, no, that's good, good memory. <laughs> My stories are a bit all over the place, but uh, yeah. yeah, no. So in uh, Snæfellsnes, which again, so the town that we leave from, all these towns in Iceland, people get so confused, bless them. Oh, they have man. no idea where they are in this country sometimes. But the town we leave from now for the whale watching in Snæfellsnes is called Ollasvik. And that, again, that's where we go out to look for the orcas, it, predominantly in the springtime. So we start our season in the 15th of February. It's very, very weather dependent. So just mm -hmm. a quick byline. If people are thinking of coming here, we so often get passengers come who, you know, tell us it's their life dream to see an orca and they just leave it to their very last afternoon in Iceland and then they're terribly disappointed that we have to cancel <laughs> because it's blowing 50 mile an hour wind, which yeah. happens here quite a lot. So yeah, you know, spend some time if you really want to see something mm -hmm. is definitely the best mm. advice. But uh, in the springtime, we also have a population of sperm whales out in the deep water in this fjord. They're all males because uh, yeah, it's Iceland, so we don't get the females and juveniles mm. here. They're further south, and we don't know a great deal about them. We don't even know what they're feeding on. There's not lots of squid here in Iceland, so we think they're possibly feeding on cod, maybe lumpfish, maybe halibut out in the deep water. Mm. But they're just here, and uh, a colleague of mine called Carl O'Neill put together a sort of uh, a sperm whale ID catalogue for this area, when we had about 200 males in the catalogue, so a fair number, but uh, then they just disappear. In the summer, they disappear. We have no idea where they go. Maybe they just go a little bit more offshore out of the continental shelf. But mm -hmm. we see them here regularly in the springtime in that deep water. And then, yeah, the main species that most people are watching in Iceland, we are the only people in Olesvik that have the orcas and sperm whales regularly although of course sometimes the other whale watchers see them but the main species here are minkies humpbacks and yeah the beautiful white beaked dolphins this yeah. is probably the best place in the world to have a chance of seeing them oh they're so cool looking um and your humpbacks are in the spring and then they go south to places southern places, places to do their southern things <laughs> they do yeah so um yeah, the, the humpbacks often come in in the spring with the capelin. Uh, they're mostly seen in the north. So I have to say in the later in the summer, I work in a different town in Iceland in the West Fjords called 
Holmavik. And again, we're the only whale watch boat. So it's very, very nice. Only you with humpbacks, not loads of other boats. So uh, again, it's a real privilege that both the places that I work in Iceland with Lauki Tours, we are the only boat with the animals. But the humpbacks, yeah, stay here. And I saw some out of the window this morning from the house. And they will be leaving soon, usually by about early November. And so far with the humpback IDs that I've taken in this fjord, I have matches with Guadalupe, with the Turks and Caicos, and also with Cape Verde. So the Icelandic humpbacks go, go both to the Caribbean and off West Africa. Oh. And that's all, huh. that's all wonderful happy whale, the, the wonderful yeah, joy that is the happy best. whale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love them that's so much. Great. Yeah, that's fascinating. Huh. There's so many things to learn. I want to know so many things. Um, I know that's true. That is why tagging is so amazing. Because every yeah, time right? somebody puts a tag on something, did you see the data that's just come out of the Falkland Islands of the Southern Right Whale that was tagged? I think maybe it was hard because there was the other day somebody ta- posted a thing of a shark on the east coast of um, America that drew that swam in a picture of a shark. And that's really, oh, really all I've been thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> so. My friend Ka- uh, Caroline Weir just put a tag on a southern right whale off the Falkland Islands. And of course, it was supposed to stay there and breed for a number of yeah, months yeah. if it had read the books. <laughs> but clearly, it hasn't read the textbooks. And it swam straight to Antarctica oh. in the middle of winter and then what? went back up north again in exactly the, the pattern it wasn't supposed to do. So tagging oh, no. is astonishing. We learn so much from so it. So many things. And it's always those outliers that you tag and they're like, this doesn't help my data at all. Yeah, it seems to be. It always leads to more questions than answers. So before we continue with the rest of the episode, we wanted to take a moment to tell you about how you can support our podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales. You can join us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash whaletales. You can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level, $5 a month at the dolphin level, or $10 a month at the whale level. And each level comes with a variety of perks, including discounts on our merch, thank you postcards, access to extended interviews like this one with Judith, and special Patreon-only episodes like the Splash of Love commentary Mm. track. It's not a commentary track, but it basically is. You don't (laughs) have to watch the movie if you listen to our Patreon (laughs) episode of it. Um, And you can even produce your own fun flipper facts. So become a patron if you can. We understand if you can't. But if you can, become a patron. It's tons of fun over there. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much to our patrons. You are amazing, and we appreciate you just so much. Thank you. Yay, thank you. And if you aren't able to support us financially, uh, there's still lots you can do to help us out. You can leave us a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This will help other people find us. And you can also just tell your cetacean, science-y, podcast-loving friends about the podcast so that they can listen along too. Whoop, whoop. Plus, you can follow us on social media and you can share your feedback so that we can keep making the podcast even better. Well, Nicole sadly isn't here to sing our Fun Flipper Facts song, but I do want to um, turn our Fun Flipper Facts just a little bit to Antarctica because we just want to hear all about what it's like to be down there. And if you have any fun facts just about Antarctica or about a marine mammal um, that you see when you're down there, it's super cool and fascinating and I just want to go so bad. Oh, goodness. Um I I don't think there's words to describe Antarctica. It's uh I I haven't had 
Oh, this, this, that sounds terrible. I haven't seen any of the really unusual things to see down there so far. Um, but everything is just astonishing because it's just endless, huge nature. Uh, it's just stunningly beautiful. Um, but of course, well, I, I guess I should mention that I did give you a story uh, because last season, which was my first season working in Antarctica, we did have one encounter with the Gerlach Strait type mm. B small no. orcas. So we did see them a couple of times, but uh, there was only one time where we actually got to watch them and I could actually take photos and get some IDs, which I have sent to hopefully the right people who I think hopefully I haven't heard back from them, but I did send my IDs off to the people I believe who are studying the Antarctic orcas. But yeah, they were in the Gerlach Strait and they were just cruising along. So we were on the large ship at the time. We weren't in the Zodiacs. So it is a very different experience mm. to what I am really quite used to is being on much smaller boats. But uh, of course, it, you know, it's unbelievable to see those those orcas down there and when I'm on the Drake Passage I'm looking for hourglass dolphins and type d's but I haven't seen them yet but the problem is I'm I'm also sometimes with my head in the bathroom because I still get seasick after all these years on sea still it gets to me sometimes yeah that's probably why Sarah and I can't go (laughs) yeah well (laughs) you know what I I, no don't don't, yeah don't think that because you can always just stay in bed for a day and a half. Yeah. It takes a day and a half to cross the Drake. That's true. And, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, even if you have to crash out for those days, it's worth it once you get there. And once you're down on the peninsula, of course, nobody gets sick because it's so protected. Once mm. you're down there, it's it's just that, that bit tro- just crossing the, the Drake. Yeah. 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 Oh, someday <laughs> I will brave it. <laughs> um. That's it can great. be Drake Lake, but not all that often. Yeah. I think I've yeah. only experienced Drake Lake once, and I've been down there five times now. Oh I think. Oh my gosh! Great. So yeah, I'm sorry that wasn't very eloquent. No, it was all good. I could think Just... of to say is, "Oh my god, it's amazing." Yeah, well, that's what we're <laughs> expecting people who've been there to yeah. say though, because, because what else would you say? It's just incredible. <sighs> Yeah, and so many humpbacks. I mean, it's it's a hump. It does seem a bit of a humpback party down there. That's that's what you see most of the time. And we have seen minkies, but I uh, haven't been lucky enough to see them really clearly yet. Hopefully, at some point we will. But gosh, the the humpbacks really are spectacular. In in so many of these bays, it's just full of humpback whales. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're hoping for you to get hourglass and type d's this year not just because yeah uh, thank you very much if i can keep my head out of the toilet (laughs) yeah yeah i want to collect them all for our species library but also because that would be super Mm -hmm. cool for you as well uh so okay i'll do i'll do my best palm crossing (laughs) yeah it's not so good for the albatross i I did one crossing where yeah it was drake lake and the albatross are just sitting there on the water looking a touch grumpy because they can't get up into the air (laughs) so uh but uh, yeah definitely better for cetaceans for sightings if it's drake lake for sure yeah Mm. that's great um so before we head out, do you want to share maybe a couple, I mean, we had heard so many great stories, but maybe a couple stories about specific encounters, maybe one of your favorites from this season. And then if you've got another one that you'd like to share, that would be amazing as well. Um, yeah, feel free to 
share a, a few or one or as many as you'd like. Yeah, and if you've already oh, shared them the past, that's fine too. Just... <laughs> but, uh, well, I don't know, a couple of sightings. I My two favorite ones that I was thinking of earlier when I was thinking about this, both of which I think I've shared with Whale Tales on your on your stories. Uh, the first one from this year, we got to take out the Iceland, the local Icelandic children. In so this was in Holmavik. So this is the West Fjords, which usually we're watching humpbacks. So that's what we were kind of expecting. So we went out with them. They chose the most glorious day. They were incredibly lucky. We, like many whale watchers in Iceland, we take the local kids out for free once every year because, of course, these kids are going to be Iceland's ambassadors in the future. Yeah. Sadly, Iceland is still hunting whales. We know that it's getting close to the end here, but you know, we, we've got to get these kids to fall in love with whales. Anyway, so we took them out and we got to see a couple of humpbacks and they're like, yeah, yeah, Nuvabakush. They were <laughs> expecting that because they can see humpbacks out of the the school windows. I mean, that's oh the crazy gosh. thing here. They watch them out in the fjord. But then we went just around a corner and there was a large group of orcas coming into a large group. It was about eight individuals. But this was the first time we had seen them in this fjord in 2022. The orcas are not here very often. And they came round this corner and the kids all shouted, Keiko, because <laughs> they didn't. Uh, and uh, the, a mother and a calf peeled off and came really close to the boat and both of them kind of porpoised next to the boat and all the kids on the boat were screaming and it, it happy screams it was it was great they just got how exciting it was and that was one of my favorite favorite moments of this year was showing those kids uh, they were just super lucky they just got one of the best tours of the year and then we had jumping white beak dolphins on the way home <sighs> and they only had an hour and a half trip oh it was gosh. unbelievable because it was supposed to be a shorter trip just to show them the humpback whales yeah. and go home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they had the most outstanding tour. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's incredible. And then, yeah, my one other one I thought of, which is also on your on your stories, is the is spy hop day. So mm. our orcas very, very, very rarely breach. I have seen it just a handful of times. I I think your guys do it far far more frequently mm -hmm. than ours mm -hmm. but they're they quite like spy hopping over here we don't see it of course all the time but uh, there was just one day on my very first year whale watching here which was 2014 we called it spy hop day and we saw at least 150 spy hops they were still spy hopping when we left them and i have photos of four of them spy hopping at the same time with and uh yeah so that and again that's that's even though it's all those years ago, my very first year working here, we've never had a tour like it. It was so yeah, that was my other mm. favorite, favorite day was spy hop day. Yeah. Yeah, it's days like that that you just like can't believe that they're actually happening and you go home. I had one of those days with humpbacks once and you just go home and you're like, You count how many like whales you've seen that day and you're like, That can't be real. Like, there's no way that this is a, yeah. a day that actually happened. So yeah. And when you get to leave when they're still doing amazing yeah. stuff, yeah. then you yeah. really know that, you know, because you, you just want to stay there forever. Mm -hmm. But the captains mm -hmm. usually won't let you do that. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, usually we would never leave spy hopping whales, but we'd just be watching them spy hop the whole trip and they were still doing it. Yeah, amazing, crazy whales. I've never seen it anything like that since. Nothing even close. So as you've spent 
so much of your life um, all over the world on boats and looking at whales and working with the whales. Do you have like maybe one kind of cosmopolitan generic call to action that people could do? It's hard. Every whale population is different and everybody needs specific things and they all have specific risks, but, it, but all cetaceans do have some large risks that are kind of the same. Do you have anything that you could maybe think of that people could do to help whales everywhere? It's kind of a large ask. But. Yeah. Again, I was thinking about this earlier because, uh, yeah, it's, and of course, yeah, there's, there's all the big, I find it really hard to talk about this on the boat now because it's hard. I, I feel like we must, and I do talk about threats when I'm out on the water with passengers, but also you don't want people to feel overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. it's really hard not to feel overwhelmed now with climate change, plastic, everything, habitat loss. But I, I think for me, I've just recently read Michael Moore's book, We Are All Whalers. I don't know if you guys have read that, but it's talking about entanglement. And so I think you know, something that we could all do as consumers is A, consume less. So that's of, of everything because he talks about cruise, uh, not cruise ships, sorry, um, tankers and supply ships, uh, obviously taking our stuff all around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's massively affecting whales. So almost everything we buy, unless it's local, is, is affecting the oceans, which you don't tend to think about because of the noise. But uh, also trying to pick and choose what you what fish you consume, I think, can make a big impact because, you know, there are lower impact fisheries and there are very, very high impact fisheries. And fishing is probably having the most detrimental effect generally on whales and dolphins around the world. So I think for me, that would be, you know, becoming an educated consumer is, is so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. Both of fish and also of things that you are causing to be imported to your yeah where you live yeah yeah absolutely like the story of fran the mm -hmm. humpback, humpback whale yeah, that we, yeah. which yeah. you know which just shows us the impact that we can have on whales just by buying stuff stuff mm -hmm. more and more stuff oh thank you so much judith it's been amazing to chat with you i know Lindsay always is the one emailing with you back and forth and collecting your stories and stuff but uh so i always hear it secondhand but it's been so great to um, to chat with you and I hope our listeners have really enjoyed hearing all your amazing stories um, it's been great yeah oh well, thank you thank you for having me when I suggested it and invited myself so oh, no. thank you very much I I <laughs> hope they enjoyed it yeah we're always in for stuff like that so in yes. we will tag um, the link to your all of your incredible stories in the show notes because you've got mm -hmm. amazing ones from all over the world because we didn't even touch on South Africa or Mexico in this yeah um, yeah um, yeah, so so we'll link to your stories. We'll link to the Icelandic Orca Project. And then you are Judith Scott Photography on Instagram and Facebook. Is that correct? Yeah, People that's right. People want to see you and see all your incredible encounters. Because you also amazing. take amazing photos of non-cetaceans all the time. Um, <laughs> oh, well, thank on you. On Instagram. <laughs> so there's lots of other good stuff there. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Judith, for being here. And, um, oh, thank you for thank having you so me, much. and thank yeah, thanks again. And uh, okay. the best of luck with your Antarctic tour this year, and we can't wait to hear what you see, even if Indeed. it's not the super fancy, uh, unique species. We love to hear about all species, so. everything, <laughs> everything. Cool. I'll awesome. be making sure I do that when I come back. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, we would really love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any episode, so please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can also head to our website to subscribe to the podcast, check out our merchandise, learn more about supporting us and becoming a patron, and while you're there, read over 1,100 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories, including a bunch of Judith stories. Oh, so many. (laughs) Oh, man. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. And if you've seen a cetacean in the wild, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our site. You can contact us on social media. We're at whaletales underscore org on Instagram. Or you can email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible encounter. Finally, we want to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, as well as the homelands of the Tawasan First Nation. Thank you again for listening and for supporting everything that we do. We hope you have a whaley great day.